News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Third hour of the program underway. And uh, joining me in studio in the COVID tank is... uh, It's uh, David Mildenberg. He is the editor of Business North Carolina Magazine. You can see the work at businessnc.com. And I recommend you go over, check out the uh, sign up for the daily newsletter. I get it. So I get it right to my my inbox every single day. Uh, A bunch of news stories from around the state about business. It's very helpful. Uh, so welcome to the show, David. How are you? Hey, Pete. It's great to be here. Colossus of the South. That's right. So I'm trying to remember, because you've been here for a long time. You've been in Charlotte. I, I recall you were you were working, was it the Business Journal you yeah, used to work for? Yeah, a bad for? penny. Can't get away. No, yeah, I've, yeah, yeah. I've worked here off and on for uh, several decades. I worked uh, for the Business Journal and, and the Charlotte Observer, and I okay. went away to work for Bloomberg News in Atlanta and uh, Austin, Texas. But I've been part of Business North Carolina for the last seven years, uh, our monthly magazine. And yep. so what do you guys, uh, it is, and you have it right here, it is an actual physical magazine. Yeah, we still believe in print. There's a lot of value. People still like to pick up a magazine, and we're uh, just celebrated 40th year. Have a great time. It's uh, owned by a North Carolina crowd based in Southern Pines, and we just have a great time putting out a monthly magazine in addition to a bunch of digital copy. Yeah. Um, I also saw you picked up the the Raleigh Reporter guy. Yeah, Colin, Colin Campbell's Colin Campbell. uh, doing great work for us. He's a... Uh, uh, insider uh, extraordinaire in terms of the Raleigh political scene, and he's adding a lot of uh, great insight to our coverage. So, what do you? So, are you, you're the editor, but is so? And he's, I'm assuming, he's still up in Raleigh. Oh yeah, that's where he, he yeah, he's he's so hanging. You've got in. what people all around the state? Well, we we rely heavily on freelancers across the state. We have our main offices in Charlotte, and we have a good staff here. But uh, Collins in Raleigh, and we have uh, great writers in Wilmington and. Winston and all over the state who uh, contributed some good stuff for us. Yeah, so it is a it is a true statewide perspective on business. Absolutely, that's what yeah. we do. Yeah, the business journals do a great job in the three metro areas covering business very strong, and certainly the newspapers, the dailies are trying. But uh, we're trying to give a unique uh, statewide perspective on what's going on, not just focused on the three big metros, but the entire state. So I know this is kind of well, it's not off topic, but it's not well. I'll just say so the. The focus that you guys have on business, is this an area that newsrooms have ditched? I know, like we, I was talking for the last two hours about the, you know, mask mandates and all of that. And I, th- I think one of the real problems in the last almost two years now of the pandemic has been the gutting of newsrooms and health beat reporters. Yeah. Is the same thing happening for business? Oh, absolutely. Beats? It's hard to imagine, but the Charlotte Observer used to have a, have a business staff of 15 to 20 people. Uh, now they have several three, four people who focus on it do a good job, but it's nothing like it used to be. And the same is true in Raleigh, Greensboro. And so, yeah, there's much less focus on business news. Obviously, the business journals and we are trying to take advantage of some of that scarcity. But, yeah, there's a lot less coverage than there used to be in terms of manpower. Absolutely. Which is kind of, you know, uh, oxymoronic in the fact that, like, Charlotte has just gotten bigger and bigger and we're getting more oh, and yeah. more big I, I, businesses and small businesses starting up here. I mean, depending how you look at it, but yeah, I think the businesses in some ways appreciate not having as much uh, close <laughs> coverage. And some of them really, uh, the more progressive ones think, yeah, well, they sh- it'd be uh, uh, better to have a lot more po- uh, 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 information coming up about what's going on. Because, yeah, the business community in our state is exploding. Absolutely. One of the hardest parts about covering business, I think, and, I, and I've done a little bit of it over the course of my career, is that it's not, you, you don't have the open meetings laws that help you get a lot of information that makes government reporting easier 
than business reporting. You actually need to have sources inside of businesses, right, that are going to be willing to kind of give you information from inside. Very, yeah, very you, true. Because it takes you know time and perspective perspective to get an understanding of how companies develop and how they uh, how they roll. Because yes, there's no reason that they have to open the doors, and you have to really know what questions to ask, what key issues are to understand what's really going on at a business. And, and you have to understand business, which a lot of reporters, no offense yeah. intended here, but a lot of reporters, a lot of people don't understand business, starting a business, what that means to be a small business owner, for example. No. A lot of people don't know that. No, and I, I've covered them for decades, and I still have such incredible respect for the guts and the drive it takes to run a business every day to open it up. Uh, I had the fortune of getting a night school MBA at UNC Charlotte, and because of that, I have a little bit of ability to understand the lingo. But yes, running a business and writing about a business, two very di- separate things. Yeah. yeah. So uh, along the lines of the... Uh, the mask mandate, the pandemic and stuff that we uh, I was discussing before you got here, but we, we were chatting a little bit before we started, and you mentioned this, and I think it is true that there is a difference when people talk, and we've just been doing it, talking about business, but there are there's a distinct difference between sort of big business and small business, right? I, I think I'm seeing that over and over. The uh, more time goes on, there's kind of a divide in between the rank and file small businesses out there and the more bigger corporate ones on so many different issues. And COVID seems to be one of them where there's this, you know, reluctance to get off people back to the office in a lot of cases and uh, just a really a fear of what could happen through COVID versus most small businesses, I think, in North Carolina, my sense is they want us to get back to normal and get moving again, get the economy moving again. And I know everybody has that goal, but there does seem to be a divide over these masks, as you yeah. talk about every day. Well, yeah. So the, the and the mask, the vaccine mandates, uh, if, you know, on employees as well. I think, uh, you know, like you said, the small business owner, they just want to open their doors. They don't have a lawyer on staff telling them, no, don't do anything, you know, just uh, practicing sort of defensive business. Well, and I think the big business have taken incredible advantage of this COVID. Best example for us rank and file people is McDonald's which I think is just killing it right now because all the other fast food places, so many restaurants going out of business, can't find help. McDonald's is figuring, because they're the biggest, they can figure out a way to use kiosks and, you know, more better management to get a whole lot more business coming in. Their stock is strong. And I think that's true in so many other industries where the smaller businesses are suffering, the big cats, the big one or two uh, players. Yeah, Walmart, are, Target, right? These are the big retailers. Right. They did pretty well. Because every and Amazon, right? These guys. I mean, I don't even know how much Bezos is worth now versus pre-pandemic, right? Like they, they just they they reaped the rewards of being the biggest. Absolutely, it's insane. I mean, in, uh, Amazon hired more than six hundred thousand people last year. I mean, and That's so insane. I don't think it's a conspiracy sinister, but there is some advantage for this COVID to keep going on for some for some big right. businesses. Well, and and yeah, it's not conspiracy, and simply recognizing that realism. Yeah. which is one of the things that business people have to do. They don't have the luxury of right. denying reality. So if you recognize that realism, if you don't recognize that, you very well could be out of business because you're not going right. to be paying and, attention and to shifting, the And shifting to the digital world that yeah. is, is engulfing us right now. So that's absolutely right. David Mildenberg, uh, stay put. We're going to uh, talk a little bit about uh, an initiative that is underway in Charlotte. Got a lot of PR uh, the other day. David Mildenberg, the editor of Business North Carolina. It's a magazine. It's a website as well, businessnc.com. 
right. He is the editor of Business North Carolina. It's a magazine. It's also a website, businessnc.com. And you can also sign up for uh, the newsletter at the website and get it into your uh, inbox every single day. David Mildenberg um, is with me. And um, this story, I have not talked about this yet on the show as a topic yet, but um, I figure it's business. It's also government. So uh, the, the mayor of Charlotte just announced a joint government and business initiative um, million pledged to make the city more equitable. In my view now, this is, they're calling it the mayor's racial equity initiative. I think this is essentially reparations of some kind, but they are not calling it that. Um, There's a bunch of money coming from the private sector, which I'm totally fine with. But there's a bunch of money coming from taxpayers, which I'm not so fine with. And... Charlotte City Councilman Tark Bakari went on to the Twitter machine the other day, and he said, I wish somebody from the mayor's initiative, quote-unquote, would have asked the elected voting members of council our opinion of the $100 million that we got signed up for in today's public-private partnership announcement, committing to $100 million without bringing council in on the details? Question mark. And then he had some other thoughts as well, but let me stop right there and kind of bring you in because we were talking about the difference between corporate big business and small businesses. Yeah. I think this is probably another, another distinction, another battle or not battle line, but another fault line. Well, this effort is, uh, seems to be a big part of it is from the leadership of about 25 big companies, CEOs of 25 big companies in Charlotte and dominated by the CEOs of Atrium Health, uh, B of A, Truist, Duke Energy, where they want to uh, address uh, issues of racial equity, and they're getting the mayor's support or backing her on these projects. I guess the proof will come in what kind of metrics they're talking about. What do they really want to do, though? And what are they? What are they? And and some of the things they pitched were uh, very fresh uh, ideas that had not been discussed much that I'd heard of. Uh, example being making uh, Johnson C. Smith University, this historically black university in West Charlotte one of the top 10 HBCUs in the country, something that uh, had never been proposed before that I can recall. Yeah. And, I, and like, to your point, what, what is the metric for that? Is it a ranking at us news and world report list of colleges? Is it based on what numbers of people put into a job in a particular industry or all industries or, or GPA or like what, what are the metrics yeah. to put Johnson C Smith in the top 10? Um, I, and also, what are the metrics for all of these other uh, ideas? Because that's not the only one they want to do. Let's see here. They have six corridors of opportunity. Freedom, Wilkinson Corridor, Beatty's Ford Road, Roswell's Ferry Road, North Tryon, North Graham, ID5 in Sugar Creek, Central and Albemarle, and then West Boulevard. I've actually lived like or worked in like half of these places. But <laughs> um, so and it says among the goals is to create an investment fund to provide loans, grants, and land acquisitions specifically within these corridors, and then to essentially devote them, focus them on black and brown business owners. Right. So I, I think there's a universal, hopefully universal view that we need a more equitable society. But I think we're seeing clearly the last two, three years, corporate America has just gone very gung-ho about improving diversity, improving equity, and that's a how do you do that is is kind of separating uh, businesses in terms of the Fortune 500 from the rank and file 
where it just seems to be more of a meritocracy. And I think there's a big divide. I don't think you're seeing the small business community making a massive push for these kind of initiatives, but it's coming from the major employers, the major businesses in in, in Charlotte and in uh, in another cities. Don't, aren't you seeing that? Yeah, and I think, I think uh, every time I talk with successful business people, they talk about how they did it and they want others to learn how they did it so others can replicate sure. it. So mentorship, I know you've come across this as well. A lot of the most successful people are big on mentorship. So I understand like the concept of trying to bring people into successful uh, uh, environments, right? To teach them some of the tools and to give them some of these opportunities. So I get that. Again, your money, you can do what you want with it. When you start using taxpayer money for some of this stuff, now it's like, well, wait a minute. This raises some questions about whether or not you're actively discriminating against other kinds of people because they don't check a particular box. Well, Turks comment that the the city council wasn't brought in in these discussion is pretty instructive and it speaks to the old days in charlotte when there were four or five or six uh, white males who controlled pretty much most of the decision making uh that is not supposed to be that way anymore and i don't think it is because uh, we have a much more diverse corporate leadership which is really a great credit to the city and i don't think the city or north carolina gets nearly enough uh, kudos for some of the advances that are being made in corporate leadership uh, we've written about that some at the magazine, and certainly there's a lot of progress still to be made. But, uh, man, things are a lot different than they were 15, 20 years ago. Tark Bakari, city councilman, went on to say on Twitter, we have approved a very high-level allocation, $38.5 million for the corridors. I'm not sure how that jumps to the $62 million that they committed today or when adding the $10 million for the digital divide, the total now gets to $100 million because this was another initiative, the bridging the digital divide, the formation of the center of digital equity to provide Internet access and devices to vulnerable communities. Right. So I guess smartphones for all. Right. <laughs> That's the idea here, which I'm not sure. Like, have you seen our society? I'm not sure more Internet access is the solution. Well, I, here. I, I mean, I want to put a plug in, too, when we're talking about this issue. And this is just totally personal but the you know if you're helping the black and brown people in charlotte i think the leaders are central piedmont community college and unc charlotte which are educating more than ten thousand students to get real sustainable jobs to improve their careers and improve their lives and you know there's a lot of other opportunities out there but i don't think they're included uh name named in that initiative So he's being very generous with his time with us today. David Mildenberg from the uh, Business North Carolina Magazine, businessnc.com. I only asked you for one segment. Now this is the third, but he's totally got to leave after this. Uh, we're talking about a great many things, but business-related. And there is, and you know, Char- Charlotte's business is business, right? This has been a business town, bank in town, but it's been about business for a very, very, very long time. Uh, and so, like, this is a niche that you guys have obviously done very well in in Charlotte. Um, but there's always been this, and you mentioned it before, there's always been this connection, this public-private partnership. People say maybe too cozy with, you know, some of the the, the businesses with the government and all, but um, like the old joke, right, three parties in town, Democrats, yeah. Republicans, and the chamber, right? right? Like that was the old joke. I don't know if it's true anymore. Is it true anymore? Can you tell me if it's true anymore? <laughs> but uh, this initiative that the mayor announced, it um, it got a lot of fanfare 
in the media and in uh, some of these big corporate entities. But according to the Charlotte City Councilman Tark Bakari, this is the first he ever heard of it. Now, maybe that's just him. He's a Republican. He, he's cut out of these discussions. But it sounds like they're committing a bunch of money to these initiatives. One of the initiatives is for Johnson C. Smith University. Look, full disclosure, I've guest lectured over there, fine campus, all four uh, endowments going to them, all four people going to the school and all that. Taxpayer funding going to various entities for targeted initiatives. It deserves more examination. I will say that because I don't know enough about all the details of the stuff yet. I'm also looking at the list of businesses here that are kicking in money. Um, Bank of America, Lowe's, Truist, Atrium, Queens University, which I found interesting um, because they're an education establishment, I thought. Right. Maybe you could do some, I don't know, educating. Ally Financial, Novant, Duke, the Charlotte 2020 Host Committee. Yeah. This was for the Republican convention. I guess they had some money left over. (laughs) He did. That's right. Uh, Michael Jordan Family, Hornets Foundation, National Gypsum CD, Spangler Foundation, Train Technologies, Mary and Mike Lamash or Lamish. I don't know. Bloomberg Philanthropy. So a lot of different organizations. You made a point, though. About look, if we're trying to uh, to help improve kids' skills, get them trained up and such, what about CPCC? What about UNCC? Right, these are other schools that are in the area. Why is it going to only Johnson C. Smith? I guess it's because it's not an equity. Well, it's it's play. probably unfair to uh, frame it in those terms because I'm very partisan as a True. UNC, UNC Charlotte alum and <laughs> and I'm fond of uh, all of these schools. But let's take a step back. I think one thing people need to understand about this group is that it, a lot of this is uh, run is too strong of a word, but it's organized by the Foundation for the Carolina CEO Michael Marsicano, who plays a very back office role, but he organizes a lot of this stuff still. And, has very much so, and he has for, for 20 years. Exactly, yeah. yes. And he knows how to uh, get together the leadership uh, of our community in a pretty effective way. And, you know, he's done it for decades, and he continues to do it, and he sees this, and it, the group sees this as a profound need of our city. How uh, broad-reaching that is across the entire community is is a good question. That's why journalists get paid to ask it. Mm-hmm. So the um, at a at a... Education level, this has been one of my beefs with the the K-12 model, is that they don't prepare, it doesn't prepare kids for the real world, quote-unquote. I thought a perfect example of this was the fiscal literacy uh, that just, that the, the General Assembly just put it into the curriculum. I think this year it's now starting, right, where kids weren't being taught, you know, Finances, how to balance your checkbook, stuff like that. Things that they're actually going to need. What is compound interest? Things like this that are really vital. But also, what about, I would like to see more focus on entrepreneurialism. This is, you want to, you want to, uh, you know, set people free, break through, uh, and, uh, you know, create generational wealth. Entrepreneurialism is how you do that. And you, you let people set their own course and it is, one of the most empowering things that someone can do is to go into business for themselves. And we don't do that in our K-12 system. I no, don't think. I don't think there's a businessman out there who would not who would argue with that. It has to be a real key focus of K-12 all, through, all the way through universities that financial literacy and setting students up for success in society is, is just very critical. And it doesn't 
uh, have to crowd out other pursuits. But you know, we got to help uh, kids understand how to uh, cope and how to survive and how to thrive in the, in our community. And entrepreneurship, you know, taking responsibility for your own independence, uh, what could be more important than that? There was a guy, he owned, um, an, uh, he's an electrician. He, his family owns this company. Um, and they actually created their own apprenticeship program because the local community college, this is out West, yeah. um, they were still training up electricians to go to work in an industrial setting because that's the, when the program was originally created, there was a big plant in town right. that needed those types of workers. Well, the plant closed, but the school just kept on cranking out this same curriculum and yeah. nobody. So they would get these kids from the community college that were like not trained up in the specific residential and commercial electrical work that they needed. So they created their whole a whole program in-house. Well, we talked about metrics of this initiative, and I, I know Mayor Lyles would totally agree with you on the importance of this as a you know, fundamental part of our education system. So I, I really hope that that's something that is going to be seen in this. You know, your station has kind of taken a lead in our community in terms of raising the heat on uh, our public school system because of this uh, rash of horrible gun uh, incidents in the, sco- in the schools. And, you know, it, it's, it's, so, it's just beyond... Ridiculous how many kids are bringing guns to our schools. You guys have been raising this issue, you know, very effectively, and I sure hope people are taking notice because you're right. The focus ought to be on the important stuff instead of the nonsense of, uh, you know, uh, violence and guns in schools. Because at some point, that reputation that that CMS has, it impacts whether or not businesses want to come here. Right, because, uh, you know, Charlotte has this incredible array of, ta- of great private schools. And a lot of our business leaders, you know, traditionally have been sending their kids to those schools. Hasn't always been very uh, good news for the public school system, but it's the way it is. But we do have to have widespread public support for our public schools. And when that's gone, what a tragic situation that is. And I think that just has to be a very uh, close conversation in the community is how do we uh, make sure that uh, there is uh, uh, in, in continuing respect and support for our K-12 public school system, because without that, man, uh, major problems ahead. Yeah. And um, the number of guns now, I think I just, oh, wait, is, has another one been found? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Like, although, yeah. I mean, it really is like it's occurring this frequently. I think that's Brett Jensen's beat now. It's just the gun beat. He seems to be making it that way. That's it. That's all it is. Well, at some point, I think he has said that, you know, something's going to happen. You bring the guns to school and eventually one of these guns is going to go off intentionally or not. And then you're in the national news. And it's like, you know, it's an example of a split in our society. We have, you know, some parts of society are doing so well, excelling like leaps and bounds. And then you've got this tragic, you know, element where there's you have to having to worry about are there are there guns in the kids uh knapsacks i mean yeah. what kind of what kind of split is that yeah uh great to hang out with you thanks so much for coming in david mildenberg from thanks, business Pete. north carolina businessnc.com remember sign up for the daily newsletter over there and uh the magazines are available. Where do you guys, uh, yeah, they're on newsstands all over the place? Well, we pretty much are uh, hard to find, but you can find us on some Barnes and Nobles and uh, businessnc.com. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. That's the Dave Matthews Band. That's the, uh, that's that song. That one song that, uh, that sounds like all the other ones. That's it. No, I'm kidding. 
I like well, I like this song. Um, <laughs> Monica points out on the Twitter machine, she says, it isn't in the government's interest for people to have financial literacy. Yeah, it does make you wonder why they don't teach certain things in K-12 education. Is it because they don't want citizens to know certain things? I'm just asking questions. Um, Jerry says, the question is, do any of those companies that you read, do they really have a choice? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Um, Look, I think, no, I do think that there is what, you know, David was talking about before, that there is a distinction, there really is, between small business and corporate. There is. And anybody who's worked in both environments knows there is a difference, right? So, I think that um, that a lot of these, you know, big types of initiatives, you know, they get these, this what's called earned media, right? They get, they get coverage, they get a halo effect. Um, and this has always been part of Charlotte's DNA. It has. It's always been part of the deal where you have civic-minded business leaders. And honestly, I support that. But, you know, here's the other thing, too. Um, from a limited government perspective... If you want government to do less, then we need to do more, right? If the private sector, if we all, and charities and churches, if we're all doing these things and taking care of each other enough and providing opportunities and doing the stuff that needs to be done, there's less of a need and less of a compelling argument, and it's far less persuasive for government to make the case or for some activist or politician to make the case that they should be doing this thing instead of us. This is one of the things uh, in uh, over the years, whenever there's uh, one of the, uh, one of the cases where, you know, someone puts the nativity scene out in front of the city hall for Christmas and uh, inevitably like the atheists come along and they're like, how dare you? You know, and they're like, that's the establishment of religion. And so they're like, sue and then uh, Christians get all mad about it and there's a big fight and it goes to court and all this and my perspective on it is simply if every Christian put a nativity scene in their own front yard you wouldn't even notice that one is missing from city hall to me that's like that's what what one person can do what you yourself can do if everybody were to be the change they want to see right if everybody can do their part, then you wouldn't even notice that it's not at this one thing because it's everywhere else. So along those lines, I am totally fine with these businesses putting up money for what, what are they calling these? What are they called this? The racial equity initiative. And I, part of me, look, I've said this before about like the reparations argument um, if you want to make the argument uh, in like specifically in Charlotte that you had people's uh, people who had property and businesses that were uh, seized by the government and then raised and replaced with like the aquatic center. Right. If you want to um, and, and the Walton, the Bob Walton, do they still call it the Bob Walton Center. Is that still named after that guy? Yeah. OK, I think so. Right. So like. They, they they put in the edge shed. They put the uh, the the CMS education building over there. Like that was Brooklyn. Like that was the black area of town called Brooklyn. They bulldozed the whole area and they put up GovCo buildings. Now, 
If you want to find property owners, you want to find their their relatives, their kin, you want to find the people that had their property seized by GovCo uh, at below market rates, if they were even paid at all, um, then I'm all for it. You pay that person for the property you took from them, that you stole from them. I would support that. But I don't necessarily like the idea of just saying, hey, here's a whole bunch of money, and now we've alleviated our guilt, right? We are, we, we are now, we're square. And by the way, this is the big problem with the reparations argument. Whenever you start, like if you go deep into the reparations argument, you eventually get to a point where you say, okay, well, if we do pay all of the money, then does that mean that this argument is over? And usually the answer to that is no. So why then would anybody ever agree to it, right? If it doesn't actually buy anything, (laughs) then what's the point? So I understand if businesses want to do this. Now, I am not as keen on the idea if you want to take a whole bunch of taxpayer money. You want to take a whole bunch of taxpayer money and start throwing it at people. Now, yeah, now I'm going to have some questions. And if what... Tark Bakari is saying is true, the city councilman who says that they were not brought in on any of this. That this was done without the city council's knowledge? Like, that's that's not good. But I guess then it's it's the mayor's initiative. Yeah, but the mayor doesn't get to control $100 million of a budget. The mayor doesn't even get a vote on this stuff. It's a largely ceremonial role. So it was, oh, maybe is it going to be like a, one of those big checks? It's like not actually a check at all. Like it's just a big piece of uh, cardboard, you know, and it just looks like a check. So like one of those things. <laughs> uh, all right. So I will get into more of this. I've got uh, a bunch of stories that I've pulled on it. So we, I'll, I will circle back to this like Jen Pisaki does. I'll circle back to this story. Uh, also, we'll get into the redistricting stuff tomorrow. Um, Brett Winterbull's coming up next. And i got to believe, like, it's a day that ends in Y. So I'm thinking Brett Jensen's got another story about another gun or an assault at a CMS school. I'm thinking that's probably going to happen. Right? Has it happened already? Has it happened again? All right. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Stick around. Brett's up next, and I will uh, be with you again tomorrow at noon. Talk with you then. Don't break anything while I'm gone.